He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. We get to finish, or not finish, but keep going through uh, our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. We've uh, been going through this gospel now. For, we started almost two years ago, and, and we've gone in and out of other books, and this book, God has been so good to us through it, hasn't he? Now, one thing I've noticed lately is that we live in a time where people tend to feel even more contempt for other people than they normally do. People can feel contempt for other people for having different views on how to live life, different political perspectives. Contempt happens when you don't just have a difference from someone or disagree with someone, but contempt results when you actually view yourself as superior than someone else because of that thing. Like, right, how many of us struggle when we disagree with someone, not just to honestly disagree with them, but also feel a temptation to feel superior to someone else? I know that happened to me. And the crazy thing is, is I never told myself to do that. Like, none of us ever woke up ever and thought, man, I'm going to decide to feel better than other people today. It's just something that automatically happens in our hearts. And according to this parable that Jesus tells, it's a scary thing that happens in our hearts. How do you think the Lord feels about this tendency for us to relate to other people as if they were inferior to us and we were above them? And if that's something that's offensive to him, something that's significant for our relationship with him how are we going to have our hearts changed so that we don't relate to people like that any longer that's exactly what this parable that jesus is going to share with us this morning is about how to change how to have our hearts changed so we don't fall into the trap of comparing ourselves with others and feeling prideful about ourselves rather than loving our god because we have to pick one or the other 
Jesus told a parable too. Pastor Sam preached on this parable. It was a parable of persistent prayer. So Jesus tells a parable of persistent prayer, which is one of the most important parts of how to be close to Jesus, how to be close to God. And this week, he's going to tell a parable about the problem of pride. And the problem of pride, on the other hand, is the thing that would take us furthest away from God. So last week, Jesus talked about what's going to get us close to God. And this week, he's warning us about what would take us away from him if we're not vigilant, if we're not careful, if we don't examine ourselves. We really want to hear what he has to say this morning. So let's hop into this parable. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So a parable is a story that illustrates. Jesus is going to illustrate something for us. And he tells us specifically to those who trust in themselves that they are righteous. Apparently, of the people who were following Jesus around, some of the people were not trusting in Jesus. They were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, so just a wake-up call. If you're a religious person, if you go to church gatherings, if you do religious things, there's no guarantee that you do not trust in yourself that you are righteous or at least have this tendency in your heart. So I'm so happy you're here this morning. But being at church gathering with other Christians does not mean that you don't struggle with the temptation to trust in yourself that you are righteous. Notice that the parable says they trusted in themselves. As a human being, every single one of us are built to put our ultimate trust in something or someone. Right? There's no one who doesn't have hope that they place in something or someone. And at the end of the day, most often it breaks down to either God or yourself. At the end of the day, you have to choose ultimately whether or not your ultimate hope and trust is going to be in yourself or in God. Now, for those of us who, as, who choose, as it's so easy to do, to trust in ourselves rather than God, there's a result that happens. You guys see it in the verse? You guys see the result that happens? Those who trust in themselves that they are righteous, they treat other people with contempt. I talked earlier about how we have this tendency to elevate ourselves above other people. That's a symptom of trusting in yourself. If you ever feel like, man, I, I, I feel prideful and superior to this person. I feel insecure, anxious around this person. That's an indication and a clue that in some part of our hearts, we're trusting in ourselves rather than the Lord. Now, the reason why trusting in ourselves produces contempt for others is because our sense of security comes from our self-image, how we view ourselves. 
Our sense of security comes from our self-image. And our self-image comes from comparison. All of us are predisposed towards comparing ourselves to others so that we can have an inflated self-image so that we can feel acceptable and righteous and worthy. That, that's, a, that's part of the heart disease we were born with as humans, is that we're born with the fatal z- disease of comparison to others to inflate our self-image to feel worthy and justified before God. And if we allow that disease to infect us, it will, church, spiritually kill us. So let's see what Jesus has to say about this. So he tells a story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So going into the temple to pray is the equivalent of approaching God. So these two men are approaching God, and they couldn't be more different. Why don't you try to picture this difference between these two men? If it was going to be told in like a, a modern telling, retelling, like a play or a film that was like a modern recreation of this, this verse might read, two men went up into the church gathering to pray. One, an accomplished ethics professor, and the other, a white supremacist. So these two men are social opposites. One of them is a religious teacher, an example to the people, and they would have looked up to him greatly as someone to emulate and learn from. The other one was a tax collector and would have been the object of the people's scorn and derision. He would have been that because he would have been viewed as a traitor. His job was to collect taxes from his fellow countrymen to give it to the Romans. And what he'd do is he'd force people to give them more money than they had to pay on their taxes, and he'd keep the rest for himself. Like, the IRS is frustrating enough as it is, isn't it? How, how would you like it if some dude put an extra thousand dollars on your tax bill and used it to buy a car while you're trying to make ends meet? That, that's basically what this guy did probably for a life habit. Can you imagine the amount of scorn and shame and rejection he would have faced in his community? Right, these are the two people now who are approaching God in the temple to pray. And we're going to see how God is going to respond to them. Now, we start with the Pharisee. So the first thing we learn about the Pharisee is that his social position is high. His social position is very high. But what the parable is going to reveal to us is that his spiritual condition is very low. His social Position is defined by who he associates with, what he wears, what he does. His spiritual condition is going to be revealed by how he prays. If you want to know the measure of your spirituality, 
and you're standing before God, pay attention to your prayers. What comes out of your heart, what you express to God, is a measure of how much you love him and where you stand with him. Don't worry about who you hang out with. Don't worry about who other people hang out with. Don't worry about what other people think of where you stand socially. Be concerned with what God thinks of the way that you pray to him. Because that's showing so much more, is it not? So let's see what we, what we learn as the Pharisee prays. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Before we get into his prayer, his posture reveals something. Right? So Jesus is going to comment on the posture of both the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the first thing we learn about the posture of the Pharisee is that he distinguishes himself by where he stands. So it's a clue and an indication that there's something off about the way he's seeing himself and the way he's seeing God that we're going to see show up in the way that he prays. And then he prays this, I would say, awful and tragic prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Amen, God. So why don't you just take a look at this prayer and count up for yourself the number of times he mentions God. Now take a look at this prayer and count up the number of times he mentions self. What, what, what's the result? How many times did he mention himself? Five times. How many times does he mention God? The focus of his prayer life determines the focus of his heart. He's not focused on God. He's supremely focused on self. God is not the object of his worship. He is. You can go through re religious ceremonies. You can do religious things but it does not mean you love God. Only a treasuring of God above self is what God accepts as desirable and blesses it. His spiritual condition is off, and we see it by the way that he prays. This is convicting to me. Because I know my prayers can drift away from focusing on God. And friends, it's not wrong at all to ask God for your daily needs. It's not wrong to ask God for the things that you need. It's not wrong to pray for other people. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to pray for ourselves in the prayer, doesn't he? 
that give, give us today our daily bread. But the prayer starts and finishes with God. And our prayer life should start and finish with God. He reveals, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that having a love for God above self is not something that comes naturally. And we need to take steps towards repenting of self-love and turning towards the love of God when we pray to him, lest we end up like this Pharisee. He keeps on going. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So what he keeps doing is now he starts off by listing the way that he believes he's superior to other people. And now he talks about his own works. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see what he's done is in a prayer where you're supposed to focus on expressing the good things that God has done for you, he's replaced what God has done with what he has done. He's replaced God with himself. And church, this is a tendency that all of our hearts have to subtly replace God for self without us even knowing it, without, with us going through the religious habits and duties, we can replace God with self, and we can see that manifest itself and how he compares himself to other people, right? He's at the temple praying, and instead of his heart being focused on God, he's focused on how he's better than the tax collector who's right in front of him. The sin of pride and comparison is bubbling out from him as he prays, as he comes into the presence of God. And it shows that what is on the exterior, right, a religious manicured exterior, actually there is an evil underneath that all of us would do well to pay attention to. So next Jesus is going to show us another man and another example of how to seek the Lord. And it's not going to be what we expect. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this tax collector, as I mentioned before, such a wicked man who had done wicked things. I want us to understand that. That this is not a person who just did a few things that he probably shouldn't have done, lied a few different, different people, and didn't really, really do anything too bad. This man was a real sinner. He had committed real sins. He needed real mercy. And he knew it. He knew it. Above all things, this tax collector has a sense of his own unworthiness before Jesus. It says, first of all, that he stands far off. Right? 
That, that's a post, it's pointing to the posture the, that he has of feeling like he should be far off from God because of his own unworthiness. How else do we see his posture show us these things? He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He feels the weight of his sin. He doesn't feel like he should be in the presence of God. But he beat his breast. He feels a sense of agony and misery over his sinfulness, saying, be God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mercy is when God withholds a punishment that's rightly deserved. Like every one of us, we, we do, we deserve the wrath of God, and he would not be unkind to punish us at all. And this tax collector knows that with all of his heart. So he doesn't go through any scrubbing himself up to try to present himself to God. Because he knows that's not going to work. Instead, he puts all of his hope in the mercy of God and trusts not him in his own character, but God's character to be the only reason why he could live and live in relationship with God. God be merciful to me, a sinner. In these two men, we see two completely opposite approaches to God. The Pharisee tries to depend on his own character to be the reason why he's acceptable to God. The tax collector knows his own character is rubbish, and he comes and depends on God's character instead. So how are you going to approach God this morning? Is your own character going to be what you depend on to make you worthy? Or is his character and his mercy going to be what you depend on to forgive you? And then Jesus makes his point in verse 14. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. So Jesus says, that the tax collector was justified. And church, there's just about no sweeter word I have ever heard than the word justified. <laughs> Might be my favorite word. Justified means that God sees a guilty person and considers him or her to be innocent. When God looks at a guilty person like this tax collector and considers them to be innocent, that's what it means to be justified. And when we become aware of how utterly sinful we are, we begin to recognize that the only hope in the world is not that we would clean ourselves up enough to be acceptable to God, but that he would justify us. I can't believe I'm justified. I was on spiritual death row when I was born. And so were every one of you until you trusted in Jesus. And at that moment, you were justified. Can you imagine being 10 minutes from the electric chair when all of a sudden the good news comes that you have been counted innocent and you get to go free? 
That's what happens to this man. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to anyone here who trusted in Christ. You were justified. And it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard of in all of my life. Now, why does this man get justified and not the other man, right? Why, why does the tax collector get justified and not the Pharisee? Jesus is going to reveal his answer for doing that in verse 14, 4. So because this is the reason why Jesus justifies the tax collector. Everyone who humble, exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a favorite phrase of Jesus. So when we insist on coming to God on our own righteousness, what we're doing is refusing help that he freely offers us. Have you ever had that frustrating experience where you're trying to help someone and they really need your help, but they're just too prideful to take it? Like, no, no, no. Now, come on, just take my help, man. That's what we do to God when we refuse to be justified and instead look to our own works and worth to gain us acceptance with him. It's, it's pride to not accept God's help. Like, like a little child who can't put on their t-shirt and you're trying to help them, but they don't want you to because they're resisting you. They think they can do it, but they can't. It's us refusing our God. And the scripture says that when we do that, we make ourselves enemies of God. We oppose him, and he opposes us. So the Pharisee, this religious scholar, was in church. He was in God's presence. And because of his pride, he was opposing the very God he was praying to. But on the other hand, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus takes this lowly, undeserving tax collector and lifts him up and justifies him for the sole reason that he knows he needs God's help. God didn't come for the righteous. He came for those who know they're not. And that's exactly what happens to this humble, needy tax collector Every one of us has a choice to make. We're either going to be independent from God or desperate from God. Every day we have to decide, are we going to be independent or desperate? There's no middle ground. And by the way, the default is independence. If you go through a day without thinking of God, without praying, living as if you don't need him, that's independence from God. Desperation for God is a positive action, something we take towards him, stepping towards him, admitting our needs for him. If all our natural flesh, his inclination is to be independent from God, then will it not be a war to be dependent for him? This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor are those who know they need God. If you know you need God, you get to live forever with God. That's the only prerequisite to trusting in Jesus, is you've got to know you need him. 
which crazily enough makes it one of the best things that God does for us is he shows us how sinful we are. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? For, for God to show you how sinful you are. It's not very pleasant, is it, when you see how messed up and messy your heart actually is? It's not pleasant at all. But one of the most loving things he ever does for us is he shows us how sinful we are so that we can finally grasp how much we need him. If he didn't show us how sinful we are, we would continue in unrepentant independence apart from him. I love it that God shows me how sinful I am, even though it makes me sad. Because only through the sorrow of seeing myself as a sinner can I have the joy of tasting Jesus as Savior. Our, our tendency is to hide and run away from our sinfulness. And this text is an invitation for us to know more deeply our sinfulness so that we can know Jesus more deeply. It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing that an awareness of our utter helplessness and dependence leads to the greatest amount of joy. It's a really strange thing. We need to know ourselves so that we might know God. We need to know our weaknesses. We need to know our sins. We need to know how helpless we are on, on our own and ask God to do what is uncomfortable, what is unpleasant often, and open our eyes to see our own neediness for God, our own neediness for Jesus, so that we would take all the more hold of him. On Christmas, I got together with my family, had a delicious meal. After our meal, we had a family Christmas dance. It was as awesome as it sounds. <laughs> and after the Christmas dance, we watched a Muppet's Christmas Carol. And it tells the famous story of one of the most famous conversions in literature, which is the conversion of Scrooge. But there's puppets that are singing. Well, and it somehow makes it even better. And what makes it this, this piece of the story so memorable, so, so deep, is, is the deep truth that it reveals. There's, there's this, this man who treats others with contempt and, and pride and hatred until three spirits show up to him and show him the reality of who he is and what he's done and breaks him. And, and once he sees how displeasing he is, he's finally able to turn towards his neighbors and love them and have joy. And as we increasingly become displeased with ourselves, we get to do something better than turn to our neighbors. We get to turn to God. Um, you probably didn't come to a church gathering for this, for what I'm encouraging of us this morning, but I'm encouraging us to become more displeased with ourselves than ever so that we can have more of Jesus than ever.
Next, Jesus steps into another parable. And thankfully, since we don't have enough time to preach a second sermon, this parable makes the exact same point as the last one. Verse 15 says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So here's the disciples feeling contempt towards people for bringing children to Jesus. Why, why would they do that? Why would they feel contempt towards people bringing children to Jesus? Well, probably because they thought that their closeness to Jesus was saying something about their reputation, their spiritual strength, their worthiness to be close to Jesus. And these messy, helpless little children being close to Jesus made them look not so special anymore. And they're saying, get those kids away from Jesus. Those children that represent helplessness, vulnerability, neediness, get those people away from Jesus. How do you think Jesus is going to respond to that? Hey, guys, knock that crap off. Welcome the children to me. Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. There are no strong, independent types in God's kingdom. There's only helpless children. You can't come to him as aloof, as calm, cool, and collected, as much as we would like to be. We want to come to Jesus like this. I'm in charge. I'm okay. I'm fine. I hate that word. I'm fine. And Jesus invites us to come to him as a little child, reaching up to him for help. If we're not willing to do this, we cannot have Jesus. exactly what he says. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So I want to say a word this morning to anyone, anyone who has not come to Jesus yet. He is inviting you to come to him as a child right now as I speak. He will justify you. He will look at you as innocent even though you're guilty because he looked at Jesus as though he were guilty even when he was innocent. That's what happened when he died on the cross. God was looking at an innocent man as if he were guilty and treating an innocent man as if he was guilty so that he could treat us as innocent even though we're guilty. The only thing that could add to my joy at being justified this morning is if someone else got justified. So please don't leave this room without talking to myself or any of us. We want to see more people get justified. A child knows his need for Jesus, and Jesus gladly supplies his need. A tax collector knows his need for Jesus, and Jesus gladly supplies his need. We are invited to be a part of the kingdom of tax collectors and children. That's the title of the sermon, a kingdom of tax collectors and children. 
And it's a daily fight to see ourselves that way because the old flesh loves to make us forget that. Sermon is a plea for you to join me, join us in being part of a kingdom of tax collectors and children who know their need for Jesus, who know their need for real mercy, and who get their mercy from Jesus alone. One final word of application. Going back to contempt. Going back to seeing ourselves as superior to others. Is that it's not only morally that we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to others in all kinds of ways. We compare ourselves to others in terms of beauty. In terms of athleticism. Financial discipline. Work ethic. Motherhood, social awareness. Is this person as woke as I am? Is this person like Trump as much as I do? All kinds of ways breed this kind of comparison that take us away from Jesus. And the only answer to put that comparison to death, the only way to not have our pride rip us away from Jesus is to approach him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please pray with me. Father, you are so good to show us our sin. We would have never asked you to do that on our own. We would have run and hid from it all of our lives and then perished apart from you. But you were kind enough to say, I'm going to show them my sin so that they might know me, God. And I ask right now that we would become more aware of the depths of our sinfulness. Not so that we would feel our despair, but so that we would feel more hope and life from Jesus than ever before in this church. Please, Jesus, help us to become displeased with ourselves so that we can become a hundred times more pleased with Jesus than all that he is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.